0: For the past few weeks, we have been studying from the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you will, keep your Bibles open there at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I began this series of lessons with a purpose in mind. I realized after studying a number of passages of Scripture how that those who preach the gospel ought to be thankful not only to God for His granting of the privilege of preaching his word, but also those to whom he is privileged by God to work. And when Paul wrote the Thessalonians, he expressed his deep and abiding appreciation for them, the fact that he wanted to spend time with them, the fact that he enjoyed the privilege of preaching to them. And I began this series with the thought in mind that I wanted to express my appreciation to you for who you are, and what you are. And as we've studied through the book of 1 Thessalonians, we recognize that each segment, each passage, has in it some great lessons of what made the Thessalonians so special. And this morning I want to talk with you about being a vessel of honor. And I'll begin with the question which I think is significant for each of us is... Are you a vessel that God can use? Can God take me as a person and use me for his good? Will I allow myself to be that good vessel? In order to prepare your minds, I want to make a reference to a passage in Romans chapter 9 and verse 21. And there Paul says, does not the potter have power over the clay? from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor. Now I am sure that Paul had in mind the prophecy of Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 18 in verses 3 through 6. There Jeremiah was to act out by going to the potter's house and watching him work at the potter's wheel. And as you read through that section, you recognize that as he is sitting there in verse 4, that the piece of clay mars in the potter's hands. And so the potter then reshapes it according to something that he desires and what he wants it to be. And my question is, are you allowing God as the potter to shape you to be what you ought to be? When we studied the book of 2 Timothy in chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Paul would write, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, and useful... For the master prepared for every good work. You see the truth is God wants us to be good, honorable vessels. Kinds that he can use. And use to accomplish good. And the Thessalonians were. These were good Christian folks. They were the kind of folks that God could use in that community. In that city among those people to accomplish a great amount of good. I ask Brother Stanley for us to sing the song, Have Thine Own Way, Lord. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me according to Thy will, while I am waited, yielded, and still. This morning, what I want us to do in the time that we have allotted is to study the first 12 verses of 1 Thessalonians 4. And Paul does a great job of providing this in a very simple format. He's going to talk about a vessel of honor adheres to the commandments of God in verses 1 and 2. And then in verses 3 through 8, he will talk about that same vessel of honor abstains from the fleshly lust. The, the allurements of this world. And then finally, he will talk about this vessel of honor aspires to holiness or holy living in verses 9 through 12. So let's go and focus on the text here for just a few moments. As you begin reading in verse 1, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ... That you should abound more and more. Just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through our Lord Jesus. Now as we take that and try to understand it. They have been keeping God's commandments. But he says, I want you to do it more and more. And I know some people in their mind say, Well, I'm trying to walk with the Lord. I'm trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to keep his commandments. How can I do more and more? Well, let me point out to you that no one is perfect. And we all stumble. And we all still have areas to grow and to mature and to be stronger. You know, James put it very simply in James chapter 3, verse 2. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in the Word, the same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body also. The truth is, every one of us, when it comes to the commandments of God, we fail miserably. Oh yes, we're trying to do what God tells us to do, but there are areas where we leave things undone that we ought to be doing. There's areas where God says don't do this and we maybe sometimes through weakness allow ourselves to get involved in those things. What we ought to be doing is a constant search of making sure that we're trying to keep God's commandments. One of the best illustrations I can think of is in Matthew chapter 19. And here's a man who had come and asked Jesus about the commandments and he began to enumerate the commandments Ten Commandments of the Old Testament, which was the law that that man was living under. And here's the man's response. He said to them, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still like? That's the kind of thoughts that you and I ought to have. God, what do I need to be doing? Well, the only way you and I are ever going to know that is if I go to the Bible and I read it and I study it daily. That's the reason why Ephesians 5 and verse 17 says, Not to be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. You and I have to realize that we can't cherry pick the commandments we like. I can't go to those commandments which talk about doing certain things that I do and say, oh, I'm keeping those. I can't go to those passages where other people are failing to do what God told them to do and say, oh, those are the ones that I am, as Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 27, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. So as I look at the Thessalonians, I see a group of people that he is talking about. I want you to grow more and more. He speaks of how they ought to walk and please God. As I began to survey through the Bible about pleasing God in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 16. The writer says, but do not forget to do good and share for with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. You know, when you and I look at ourselves and whether it's our money, it's our time, it's our concern. When we see others in need, we ought to be willing to share. Or Colossians 1 and verse 10, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Two things that he mentions there, being fruitful in every good work. Every time you have an opportunity to bear fruit, do so. But you also increase in your knowledge of what God wants you to do. In 1 John 3 verse 22, and whatever we ask from him, we receive because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. That means that when you and I pray to God, if I'm striving to walk as he have, would have me to walk, I keep his commandments, do those things that are pleasing, and God hears us. The only way to walk uprightly and please God is to keep the commandments. But now I want to turn your attention to verses 3 through 8. and. This is a very important section, so read it with me carefully as we go through it. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such. As we also forewarned you and testified, for God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, But God, who has also given us His Holy Spirit. Now, God is looking for a sanctified, that is, a holy people. He's wanting people whose lives reflect striving to do what is right. In our class on Sunday mornings that meets in the fellowship room, we're studying the book of 1 Peter. And I've tried to emphasize each week in that class that the theme of the book of First Peter is from verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in conduct, because it is written, Be holy, for I am holy. God's wanting you and I to live a life that's above the world. That's the reason why in chapter 2, verse 9, he said you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. A holy nation. A people whose lives reflect that. In 2 Corinthians 7, and verse 21, Paul's writing to the Corinthians. He says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and of the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. What God wants out of me and what God wants out of you is a person who is not allowing the world to infect us, to pull us down to its low level of sinfulness, to its fleshly lust. Pursuing fleshly lust dishonors and desecrates our bodies. Now, I don't know if we, because we live in a world where fornication and fleshly lust are dominating. But I've got to look at myself and say, if I'm going to be a vessel of honor, I'm going to be something that God can use. I've got to live like I am different from the world. In Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. I've got to look at myself and say, God, I am here for you to use. But I've got to make sure that I keep it from those fleshly lusts. In 1 Peter 2 in verse 11, he said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from the fleshly lust that war against the soul. It makes us contaminated. It makes us dirty. Well, I want you to notice as Paul in this section talks about these fleshly lust, he's going to enumerate some things that are involved in it. The first one is fornication. Oh yeah, we live in a world where sexual immorality is on the television. It's in our literature. It's in our community. It's in our families. And I want you to listen as Paul as he tells the Corinthians where there's a hotbed of it. I mean where it's going on daily where the temple of Aphrodite is within sight. He says now the body is not for fornication but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised up both the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take a member of Christ and make them a member of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For what the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee fornication. Every sin that man does is outside the body, but he who commits fornication sins against his own body. I don't think that's too difficult to understand. God expects me to be a holy person, and if I contaminate it, I can't be a useful vessel for Him. Colossians 3, 5, Therefore put to death your members which are upon this earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, and he goes on. But the second issue that Paul raises in this context is to take advantage of or to defraud one of our brethren. That is when I look at you and I say, I, you know, I want things. And I look at you and I say, you've got something I want, and I think I can take it. And to do that, I've got to defraud you. I've got to take advantage of you. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that problem was prevalent in the church. In chapter 6, in verses 7 through 11, he says, Now therefore it is already an utter failure for that you go to law one against another. Why do you not rather accept wrong?" Why do you not rather let yourselves be cheated? No, you yourselves do wrong and cheat. And you do these things to your brethren. Then verses 9 through 11, he says, Don't you know that the people who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God? You can't go to heaven and be a person who cheats somebody else. And defrauds someone else. Solomon illustrated it like this in Proverbs chapter 20. You look at verse 14. It's good for nothing, cries the buyer. But when he's gone his way, then he boasts. Some people think, oh, that's being a shrewd businessman. Oh, no, no, that's just trying to defraud someone. Oh, your, your old car, it's not worth anything. I don't know if I could ever sell it. I don't It's just, you know, it just... Practically worthless. Okay, I guess I'll just let you have it for nothing. And then when the person goes away, look what I got. Look what I did to him. Verse 23, Diverse weights are an abomination to the Lord and dishonest scales are not good. When you tell someone you're giving them something and you don't give them what you promised. If you'll notice the context like the Gentiles who do not know God. God did not call us to uncleanness, but holiness. Yes, we as Christians live in a fleshly world, but we don't have to embrace the fleshly world lifestyle. I just want to read to you for a moment Ephesians 4, 17. Therefore I say, or this I say, therefore, and testifying the Lord, that we should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man that grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He's saying you've got to change. Number three, let's look at verses 9 through 12. Aspires to holy living. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in Macedonia, or in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. That you aspire to, to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and that you work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, that you may lack nothing. As you survey this, I think it's important to recognize that when we start talking about Being a vessel of honor for the Lord, it's not only the negative things that we're not supposed to be doing, but there are positive things that we ought to be doing. So many people talk about, I don't want to hear negative preaching. Well, we've got to have negative preaching, we've got to address the sins, but our preaching cannot be all negative lest we fail to teach the positive things that are a part of this. Oh, we don't want to be people who've gotten involved in fornication and defrauding brethren. But what we do want to be is a holy person aspiring more and more and more. Notice the context here. He talks about brotherly love. Brotherly love says... I see your need. I'm looking out for your needs and I want to express that by doing something good for you. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1 says, Let brotherly love continue. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this... All will know that you are my disciples. If you have love for one another. You see, the community here in McMinnville knows the congregation here the way we treat one another. If we look out for one another, if we provide for one another, if we encourage one another, we support one another. You see, that's the way people are able to decide whether or not... Our religion, our faith is real. Psalm 133 verse 1, Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. All that brotherly love. He said you are an example of it you've loved the brethren who are in all of Macedonia, people can look at you and see that and see as a great example. We need to be the kind of people, and I think we are the kind of people that love one another and care. But he also says that you lead a quiet life. For just a moment, what does he mean by quiet life? Well, he's going to explain... And I thought best was to use a little quote here. After all is said and done, more is said than done. He says, I don't want you to just talk. That's the idea of quiet. I don't have to tell somebody I'm humble, I don't have to tell somebody that I care about them, I don't have to tell somebody that I am diligent they'll be able to see it. You know, Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them, Matthew 7, verse 20. What he's talking about is people who work, mind their own business, work with their own hands. When I go to 2 Thessalonians, look at verses 7 through 12 of chapter 3. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but we worked and labored tall night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example how you ought to follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. For we hear that there's some among you who walk in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are... Now notice now, if they're not working, they're busybodies. Now those who are such, we command and exhort in our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread... You want to be a vessel for honor for the Lord? Be the kind of people who says, I want to be a holy life, live a holy life. I want to make sure that the way I conduct myself is honorable. I work. I don't try to take advantage of someone else, but I try to work enough to be able to provide for my own and help others who are in need. The third thing that he says here, Is to treat those who are outside properly. Oh, I wish I could spend a little more time on this, but let me for the moment just say this. We as the Lord's church are not a closed group of people that we're we're here, we've got just what we want, we don't want no more. That's not it at all. We want the Lord's church to grow. Not so we can put another number on the board, but so there's another soul that gets to go to heaven. In order for us to be a vessel for the Lord's use, a good vessel, a vessel of honor, we've got to be able to be useful to reach our neighbors and our friends. How am I going to do that? In Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are on the outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. I don't know about you, but occasionally I let my frustrations get the better of me. And as Brother Dale read in the reading before our announcements this morning, he talked about the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Sometimes we get angry. We want to say things to the worldly people. I don't like who you are. I don't like what you have become. But I've got to be careful. I've got to control my tongue. I've got to control my mouth, which is what he goes on to say there In verse 26, if any man considers himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue, this man's deceiving himself. His religion is useless. It's vain. I've got to study how I ought to answer everyone. And I've got to always let my speech be with grace, with favor. Season with salt. Make it more palatable, more tasty, if you will. So that when I meet the man on the street he sees that I am a vessel for God, a vessel of honor. Or as I titled the series of lessons, a church about which everyone would want to be a part of. These Christians were vessels of honor useful for the Lord in Thessalonica. I believe there's many of you who are vessels of honor for the Lord this morning. I believe that you have devoted your life to the Lord, your you're trying to work every day to see the Lord's kingdom grow and prosper. You're trying to love your fellow man. But some of you need some cleansing. And to in order to be useful for the Lord, you've got to cleanse the sin out of your life. If you're not a Christian, listen carefully for just a moment. God loved you so much that he gave Jesus to die for you on the cross. In return, he asks that you believe that Jesus is his son. And that not only you believe that, but that you commit your life to him by turning away from your sins. That's called repentance. And then to be baptized. That's immersed, put under water for the remission of those sins. Everything is ready for you this morning. If you want to do that, the baptistry behind me is prepared. The water is warm. We have garments available. And I can tell you for certainty that there will be joy not only in the presence of the angels of heaven, but there will be joy in this audience here as well. Some of you are Christians, but you've let the devil get a hold of you and you've let him take hold of your life. And you really need to repent and rededicate your life to the Lord and make a change. When we sing this invitation song, if you need to respond, would you do so while we stand and sing?